Join Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app to binge all four episodes of The Battle for Paramount early and ad-free. Download the Wondery app in your Apple or Google Play mobile app store today. June 1993, Denver, Colorado. In his sparsely decorated office inside the headquarters of cable giant TCI, John Malone stands at the window. Beyond the city, the Rocky Mountains rise like a wall on the horizon. Malone scans the streets below. He notices a limousine closing in on his citadel, his visitors almost here. Malone pulls on his suit jacket. His usual short sleeves won't do today. Not when the biggest deal in corporate history is within his grasp. Malone opens his office door. His assistant looks up. He's about to arrive. Malone's assistant nods. Mm-hmm. I'll head to reception to meet him. Thanks. I'll wait in my office. Malone returns to his granite desk, sits down, and waits. Five minutes later, his assistant shows the visitor in. Malone rises from his chair. Greetings, Ray. Ray Smith smiles. He's the CEO of Bell Atlantic, one of America's regional phone monopolies. But it won't be a monopoly much longer. The federal government's about to axe the laws that stop cable operators from providing phone services and prevent phone companies from offering cable TV. But Malone doesn't want to compete with the phone giants. He wants to ally with them. I'm glad you're here, Ray. I feel like I've been waving my ass at phone companies for months, hoping that someone's interested in a strategic partnership. <laughs> That's uh, quite the image, John. Uh, but I don't want a joint venture. What do you want? To buy TCI. That an option? Malone smiles. It's exactly what he wants. Yes, it's an option. The way I see it, the phone and cable industries are converging. Soon we'll both be in the business of supplying data into homes. The information superhighway will be delivered through our wires. So, you know, merging Bell Atlantic and TCI would put us at the forefront of that change. Agreed. But uh, I want Liberty Media, too. You know, the future is about more than the wires. It's also about the programming those wires supply to people's homes. Malone pauses. Liberty's the TV programming business he spun out of TCI two years ago. Through Liberty, Malone holds major stakes in QVC, Turner Broadcasting, and more. Malone calculates the implications of including Liberty in the deal. It invites more federal scrutiny of the merger, scrutiny that'll leave Liberty unable to make deals until the merger gets the okay from regulators. And that delay could sabotage Malone's plan to use Liberty's stakes in QVC or Turner Broadcasting to buy Paramount. But Paramount's only an $8 billion deal. Bell Atlantic's a $33 billion move. Malone looks at Smith. Okay, Liberty's included. Let's start talks. The merger of the century is on. But until the Bell Atlantic deal is certain... Malone's hedging his bets. So he's going to keep his QVC partners, Barry Diller and Comcast, in the dark about his plans. He wants them to keep thinking that he's still 100% committed to buying Paramount, just in case the Bell Atlantic merger falls through. This is Malone's M.O. 
He bets on every horse, plays all sides, turns both friends and enemies into unwitting pawns in a game that only he understands. And that way, whatever happens, Malone always wins. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits, business and swim. You know with your Delta SkyMiles Business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. Now, since you're a podcast listener, I'm sure you know all about how audio just does something to the imagination. So I'm really excited to tell you about how Audible's brand new exclusive thrillers are brought to life with that kind of captivating sound design, the eerie soundscapes and dynamic performances. There's one that caught my eye. I should say it caught my ear. It's an Audible original called Sleeping Dogs Lie by Samantha Downey. It details the aftermath of a local businessman's murder in Marin County, California, a once sleepy suburb now part of the bustling Silicon Valley area. And as an Audible member, well, you get to keep one title a month from their entire catalog, including bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible now free for 30 days. Head on over to audible.com slash BW or text BW to 500-500. That's audible.com slash BW or text BW to 500-500 and try out Audible free for 30 days. From Wondery, I'm David Brown and this is Business Wars. On the last episode, Barry Diller quit Paramount Pictures after clashing with his boss, Martin Davis. Diller allied with cable giants TCI and Comcast to seize control of QVC. And Davis initiated merger talks with Viacom. But Davis's hookup with Viacom is under threat. Diller and his allies have Paramount in their sights. And they're about to pull the trigger. This is Episode 2. Hidden Agendas. June 1993, Hotel Bel Air, Los Angeles. In an executive suite with cream-colored walls, Paramount Chairman Martin Davis sits at the desk scribbling notes on a yellow legal pad ahead of his next business meeting. Two days ago, he learned that his nemesis, QVC Chief Barry Diller, is plotting a hostile takeover of Paramount. On paper, QVC isn't a concern. It's a billion-dollar TV shopping channel. Paramount's seven times bigger. But Diller's got cable giants TCI and Comcast behind him, and that means the threat is real. The black landline phone on Davis's desk rings. Davis stops writing and answers. Yes? Mr. Davis, as requested, I've got John Malone on the line connecting you now. Davis's grip on the phone tightens. His anger about QVC's plan still simmers, but he wants to stay in control when he confronts TCI's boss. Malone comes on the line. 
Listen, I can't talk long. I stepped out of a meeting to take your call, so what can I do for you? You can stop using Barry Diller to put a gun to my head. Uh, I, d I don't understand. Spare me your denials. You know exactly what I'm talking about because you're on QVC's board. I know QVC's letting Diller go after Paramount. What's your game? Use your sock puppet Diller to frighten me into a deal with you? No. No, that's not what I'm doing, and Barry isn't my puppet. Barry and Comcast wanted the hostile bid. I wanted... I want a friendly deal with Paramount. You expect me to buy that? If that's true, why didn't you block their plan? My partnership agreement with Barry and Comcast requires me to vote with them, so that's what I did. But you and I have been talking for months. Why would I risk all that progress? Davis frowns. He and Malone have been talking for months, but only because Davis is stringing Malone along. Davis wonders if Malone's finally wised up to the deception. Maybe Malone's now turning Davis's own fiction against him. Davis grips the phone even harder. He thought he had Malone sussed. Now he's not so sure. Unsettled, Davis reverts to his default stance, playing the tough guy. Listen, John, I am not scared of Diller. This good cop, bad cop routine will not work on me. I will not be intimidated into a deal with you. You want our talks to continue, then put Diller on a leash. Got it? More than 2,000 miles east of Davis's L.A. hotel, Malone replaces the phone receiver. He pauses for a moment and calculates what Davis's reaction to the threat from QVC means for the deals he's working on. Then, he returns to the QVC planning meeting he stepped out of to speak to Davis. Inside the meeting room, a group of men are huddled around the table, devising a battle plan for QVC's takeover of Paramount. Among them are Diller and Comcast CEO Brian Roberts. Everyone in the room stops and looks at Malone. Diller breaks the silence. How's Marty? Unhappy. He knows about QVC's hostile bid. He says he'll end talks with me if I don't stop it. Diller and Roberts wonder how Davis found out. Roberts looks at Malone. John, QVC buying Paramount is a strategic imperative for Comcast. I'm not calling this off just so you can stay friends with Davis and get Paramount for yourself. Malone nods. I know, but I've spent months building a relationship with Davis. You know that. Diller shakes his head. As I keep telling you, John, Davis is wasting your time. He'll never sell Paramount. Our hostile bid is the only way. Now are you still with us? Malone pauses and processes the implications of his next move. It's still optimal. Paramount's a conflict of interest for me, so I'm recusing myself from QVC's board. Peter Barton will replace me. Diller relaxes. Barton runs Liberty Media, the TV programming company controlled by Malone. Malone is simply replacing himself with someone who will do Malone's bidding. Diller assumes this is just a stunt to help Malone rebuild trust with Davis. But he's wrong. A few days later, Peter Barton drops a bombshell. Malone's empire will not block QVC's hostile bid for Paramount, but it won't participate in the takeover either. The move shreds Diller's plans. QVC needs Malone's financial help to buy Paramount. 
Diller thought Malone had his back. Instead, Malone's forced him to retreat before the battle even began. But Diller isn't ready to give up yet. He still believes Davis will never surrender Paramount willingly. He's convinced that Malone will eventually realize talking to Davis is a lost cause and agree to help Diller and Comcast seize Paramount by force. But Diller's misread everything. July 6th, 1993, the Upper East Side, Manhattan. In a luxury hotel suite, Paramount Chairman Martin Davis and Viacom owner Sumner Redstone sit on separate couches, leafing through the latest draft of the merger deal between their companies. Viacom and Paramount's top people have been haggling over the details for weeks. Now, Davis and Redstone hope to smooth out the kinks and seal the deal. The 70-year-old Redstone removes his reading glasses. Are we settled on the termination terms? Those terms are proving troublesome. Redstone worries that Davis will sign the agreement but bail on the merger. He wants major compensation if that happens. Davis turns back to the agreement's termination clause. Hmm. I'm told the $100 million penalty fee is routine in a deal this size, but not this option to buy 19% of Paramount if the merger fails. It's reasonable. I disagree. But I want to talk price first. Redstone sits up. Price? Paramount stock currently trades for less than $55. We're offering $63.50 a share. That values Paramount at $7.4 billion. It's more than fair. You're negotiating like you're buying some multiplex in Peoria. Hardly. Your stockholders will get a premium of more than $8 a share. The opportunity to buy a Hollywood studio is rare. You want Paramount? Bid higher. (sighs) What are you after? I'm thinking the price better begin with a seven. Redstone's jaw drops. Seven? You want $70 a share? That's right. Redstone thought he'd be popping champagne tonight. Instead, Davis has dangled a deal in front of him, only to snatch it away. Again. Redstone rises from his couch. Martin, that price is fantasy. You know, every time we have a deal, it turns out we don't. Is there any point in continuing these talks? Davis sinks back in his couch, arms crossed, legs spread. Not unless you give me a price starting with a seven. Ah, enough already. I've made my offer. Either accept it or reject it. These discussions are over. Davis says nothing as Redstone gathers his belongings. He wants a deal, but not at any price. He believes Paramount is worth more than Viacom's offering. Billions more, and he will not be lowballed. The next day, Paramount formally rejects Viacom's offer, and Redstone cancels further talks. But the Wall Street investment bankers who engineered the talks won't give up. They'll earn tens of millions if they can get the merger over the line, and they want their payday. The bankers scurry to calm the waters and lure the two media moguls back to the negotiating table. In mid-July, talks resume. 
Price remains a flashpoint, but both Redstone and Davis want this merger. Redstone knows this might be Viacom's only chance to buy into Hollywood. Davis believes Viacom's TV interests and Paramount's movie studio would make a killer combo. But he's also keenly aware that Diller and Malone are circling his company like two hungry wolves. The newspapers are full of rumors about Diller's plan to seize Paramount. Those rumors are inflating QVC's stock price, and that makes it easier for Diller to raise the billions he needs to attack. Davis knows he can't depend on Malone to keep Diller in check. Malone could change his mind in an instant, and if that happens, Diller will swoop. But Davis needs more time to secure a deal with Viacom. So, he's changing tactics. No more cowering. It's time to face down both Diller and Malone. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. July 1993, Paramount Headquarters, Manhattan. Barry Diller follows Martin Davis along the corridor of the executive floor. It's been nine years since Diller quit Paramount and he hasn't set foot in this place since. But everything feels the same. The carpet's still drab and brown and most of the executive offices remain empty. Diller feels reassured by the vacant offices. It's confirmation that Davis still trusts no one. Davis leads Diller up a spiral staircase to the private dining room. Diller smiles. The octagonal dining table installed by Davis's predecessor is still there. This place is like a time capsule. Wow, nothing's changed. Davis frowns. I only get rid of what I don't need. The pair sit at the dining table. The waiter appears and serves their lunch of red snapper and Dijon mustard. As they pause for the waiter to finish, Diller takes in the majestic view of Central Park. Those views were always the best thing about this place. Davis eyes Diller while spooning more mustard onto his fish. Barry, I wanted us to have lunch because I'm hearing all these stories about how you're going to buy us. But I have to tell you, we're not for sale. We have no interest in doing anything with you. Davis puts down the jar of mustard and waits for a response. He wants Diller to leave here knowing that any move on Paramount will meet fierce resistance. Deller cuts off a piece of his fish, skewers it on his fork, and raises it to his mouth. Then, he looks at Davis. Okay. Diller pops the morsel of fish into his mouth. He knows Davis hopes to use this lunch to find out if QVC is coming for Paramount. It's not, at least for now, but Diller wants to keep Davis guessing. Davis stares at Diller. Okay. What kind of response is that? 
Look, Barry, I know your pal David Geffen spreading these rumors about QVC buying Paramount. David Geffen doesn't speak for me. When and if I have something to say to you, I'll call you and say it to you. Until then, I suggest you believe nothing. Davis clenches his jaw. It's a smokescreen of an answer, one that says and reveals nothing. Davis imagines Diller spent all morning rehearsing that line with his attorneys. Davis glares at Diller. We're not for sale. You said. I want to be sure you heard. Diller knows he shouldn't say anything, but Davis, the man who pushed him out of Paramount, is right in front of him. He can't resist the temptation to push Davis's buttons. Oh, I know Paramount's not for sale. Why else would you spend, what, three, no, four years failing to do a merger? Huh. Thing is, I know you. And I know that despite all the discussions you're having, nothing will happen. Nothing will happen until you're forced to do something. I am going to do something. No, you're not. You've been talking and talking for years. You won't do anything. And what? You're going to force me to do something? Me? Uh, I'm busy running QVC. Oh, please. Barry Diller, the home shopping man? Mm-hmm. No one believes that. QVC's a glimpse into the future. The TV screen will replace them all. Barry, we're not interested in QVC, and we're not interested in working with you. I wouldn't worry about me. I'm not. There are others who are interested in you. Davis knows who Diller's talking about, John Malone. But Davis hasn't overlooked the boss of TCI. And now that he's told Diller to back off... It's time to deal with the Cable King. Fiber optics will transform the market. August 1993, Paramount headquarters. Martin Davis sits at his desk, half listening as TCI boss John Malone prattles on and on. It's like every meeting they have. Davis wonders if Malone's plan is to bore him into submission. Davis decides it's time to end this charade. John? John, I want to level with you. Oh, okay. Neither you nor Diller frighten me. I've already told you that I won't stand for scare tactics. But rumors are Diller's coming for Paramount, even as you sit here in my office talking up some deal I should make with you. Stop playing games with me, all right? Malone straightens his back. I'm not playing games. I want the deal that's best for TCI. That's it. Nothing more. And yet, you're secretly assembling a hostile bid for Paramount. Davis hopes a direct accusation will smoke out the truth. Who says I'm doing that? Other people have told me. You mean Summer Redstone? Davis fights to keep his cool as panic races through his body. He thought his talks with Viacom were still a secret but Malone's just made it clear that he knows exactly what Davis is doing. Malone leans forward. Martin, I don't harbor hostile intentions toward Paramount, and I've already told Barry Diller to stop the leaks and rumors because I know that all that'll do is drive you into Viacom's arms. Davis narrows his eyes. Listen, if you or your puppet Diller come at us with a hostile bid, I will fight. What about our talks? They're over. The trust's not there. As Malone leaves, 
Davis hopes he's bought himself enough time to do a deal with Viacom. But time might not be the issue. Because his talks with Viacom are about to fall apart. August 1993, Virginia. Martin Davis zooms along the highway in his racing green Aston Martin. He's on vacation, and work stress vanished in the rearview mirror long ago. Which is just as well, because two days ago, the talks between Viacom and Paramount collapsed again. And this time, the breakup feels permanent. The breakpoint was Davis's refusal to give Viacom the right to buy 19% of Paramount if the merger doesn't happen. With that, Viacom owner Sumner Redstone stormed out of the talks. Davis is disappointed, but he's used to moving on. He's seen so many merger talks crumble to dust in the last four years that he's lost count. He might as well kick back and enjoy the drive. He can worry about what's next when he gets back to the office. But these days, the office is hard to escape. The car phone at Davis's side rings. He picks up the receiver and answers the call. It's Don Orsman, Paramount's chief attorney. Hey, Don. Finally on my way to visit Monticello. How's Montana? Oh, the dude ranch is great. My grandkids love it. Listen, I've been talking to Lazard Frere. Lazard Frere is the investment bank that's been advising Paramount on its talks with Viacom. Let me guess, they want to revive the talks. Naturally, but they say Viacom's having regrets about walking out and might now be open to watering down their stock option demand. What about price? Uh, 65's no good, I want 70. Will they go higher? Uh, they haven't ruled it out. Now whether they'll go to 70, I don't know. Davis ponders the information for a moment. All right, well, let's say we're interested. What then? I could send some positive noises Viacom's way, see if it turns into something. Well, do you think it will? Will what? Turn into something. Honestly, uh, no. I think if this deal was going to happen, it would have been done by now. Yeah, I agree. But let's make sure this one's dead and buried before we move on, all right? Keep me posted. Davis puts down the car phone and hits the gas. He knows Viacom is now a long shot, but he still feels in his gut that it's the merger deal he's been hunting high and low for. But he also knows that if Viacom's out of the running, Paramount will be easy prey for Diller and Malone. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, it isn't just your business, it's your life. Whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. See, State Farm agents are small business owners, too. They know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Late evening, September 7th, 1993. Viacom owner Sumner Redstone's apartment in the Carlisle Hotel, Manhattan. Paramount chairman Martin Davis puts his knife and fork down on his now empty dinner plate and smiles at Redstone. That was an excellent meal, Redstone grins. 
Yes, yes it was. Another great moment in this greatest of days. Davis and Redstone are upbeat because this afternoon, Viacom and Paramount's negotiators finally reached an agreement both sides could live with. Redstone tops off Davis's wine glass. I didn't think we'd get there. When we stopped talking last month, I thought our differences over the termination terms were insurmountable. Davis raises his glass. Same here. But now, now, I can almost taste the opportunities. Paramount Viacom is going to be very special. The two men clink glasses. But behind Redstone's smile, there's doubt. He still can't believe Davis is ready to surrender Paramount to him. Davis lowers his glass, looks away, and then back to Redstone. Sumner, I've got to get another dollar. Redstone closes his eyes. He knew it. Of course Davis wants another dollar per share. Redstone opens his eyes and stares at Davis. No. Davis blinks. How about half a dollar? Redstone holds his stare. No, Martin. No. A quarter, then? I need something. Martin, we agreed $69.14. That is the price. That's what you agreed. The deal is done. Redstone keeps staring Davis down. The fate of their $8.2 billion deal has come down to this. A game of chicken over Redstone's dining table. Davis raises his hands. Okay, Sumner, you win. Redstone's face lights up. The deal is real, and he's won. Paramount is his. Davis turns away and looks out the window into the night. Over the treetops of Central Park, he sees the bright lights of the Upper West Side. He slouches in his chair. You know, Sumner, when this deal is done... They're going to build a big statue of you in Central Park, and I'll be forgotten. Redstone peers at Davis. He looks deflated. The reality that he's handing over Paramount to Redstone is sinking in. Redstone tries to lift the mood. No, Martin. They'll build statues of both of us, and I'll be looking up at you in admiration. (laughs) Davis laughs, but both he and Redstone know that's not true. Davis is now yesterday's man. Paramount is Redstone's now. September 13, 1993, Viacom head office, Times Square, New York. In a cafeteria packed with journalists, Redstone and Davis are heralding the union of Paramount and Viacom. As journalists scribble notes and flashbulbs pop, A jubilant Redstone clings to the lectern and waxes lyrical about the $18 billion media giant he's about to create. Paramount Viacom will become nothing less than the most powerful entertainment company in the world. We're at the start of a global technological revolution in entertainment. And what will separate the winners from the losers in this revolution is their ability to produce content the information superhighway demands. Davis nods along. He's at Redstone's side, but looks like a spare part. Redstone keeps going. Our offer to Paramount stockholders is worth $69.14 per share, $9.10 in cash, the rest in Viacom stock, mostly non-voting stock. A journalist raises her hand. 
Mr. Redstone, you personally will hold 70% of Paramount Viacom's voting stock. Why would Paramount stockholders want to surrender the control they have to you? The extra value this merger will deliver to stockholders matters more than control. This merger isn't one plus one equals two. It's four, five, even six. And where will that extra value come from? Our unmatched programming, distribution, and technological depth. We'll have movie and TV studios, world-class cable networks including MTV, America's top book publisher Simon & Schuster, and the New York Knicks basketball team. The synergies and cross-promotional opportunities are vast. Any specific examples? It's early days. Merger won't be completed until spring. But uh, I can reveal that Paramount will now make the Beavis and Butthead movie, not Warner Brothers. Another journalist lobs a question at Redstone. You're paying a high price for Paramount. Uh, analysts expected an offer of no more than $67. Is that price a preemptive move to deter a rival bid from Barry Diller or John Malone? Redstone smiles. The press is creating a conflict that isn't there. I have a long personal friendship with Barry. I have no reason to anticipate a move by him. But what about uh, Malone? I doubt this is a great political climate for him to do a risky, high-profile takeover. Malone has few friends in Washington. Davis leans toward the microphone. To be clear, Paramount has not received any other offers and does not expect any. Redstone barges in again. This merger is destiny. This marriage will never be torn asunder. Short of a bullet through me, this merger's happening. Redstone grins as the cameras flash and reporters jostle to ask the next question. This is his moment, and he's loving it. But for all the grandstanding, he knows that now the deal's public. It's open season. He might have the prize, but now he's got to stop others from taking it away. With the news conference done, Redstone retreats to his corner office in the upper reaches of Viacom's headquarters. He feels like he's walking on sunshine. As he enters the office, his eyes drift towards the black and white photos of movie stars that adorn the walls. Stars like Mae West, Bing Crosby, and Audrey Hepburn. They remind him of just how long he's dreamt of this day. He's wanted to own a Hollywood studio ever since he joined his dad's drive-in movie theater business back in 1954. But he never wanted just any studio. It had to be Paramount. For Redstone, Paramount was always the apex of Hollywood. And soon, it'll be his. He also knows it's not safe until the merger completes. But Redstone's already fortified his deal against attackers. It's why he paid over the odds and pushed Davis to accept termination terms that'll mean it'll cost Paramount $168 million to dump Viacom for someone else. Any rival bid would have to cover that hefty penalty just to match Viacom's offer. But he wants to be sure that's enough to deter would-be thieves. He yells at his secretary. Get me Barry Diller on the phone. Ten minutes later, Redstone is on the line with the QVC boss. Barry, I assume you've heard about my merger with Paramount. I have. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. They asked me about you in my news conference just now. Oh, what did you say about me? 
They were the closest friends in the entertainment world. I was in a very good mood. I may have overstated things a little bit. Diller goes quiet. He never thought Davis would do a deal. He wanted to wait until spring before lunging at Paramount. But now that Redstone swiped the prize, Diller knows it's now or never. Well, it's true. We are good friends. So whatever we decide to do in the future... Wait. Wait. What are you talking about? Paramount is in play now, and QVC might enter the running. We've been thinking about it for months, and uh, we may be competitive. Redstone's good mood evaporates. Competitive? Barry, you will not win. Paramount's mine. All you would do is cost me more money. But Redstone knows Diller's not listening. He wants Paramount just as badly as Redstone, and their friendship won't stop them fighting over it. The Shadow War is over. The real battle now beckons. On the next episode, Barry Diller reigns on Redstone's parade, video rental giant Blockbuster enters the fray, and a judge delivers a hammer blow. From Wondery, this is episode two of the Battle for Paramount Pictures for Business Wars. A quick note about recreations you've been hearing. In most cases, we can't know exactly what was said. Those scenes are dramatizations, but they're based on historical research. If you'd like to read more about the fight for Paramount, we recommend Brian Burroughs' Vanity Fair article, The Siege of Paramount, and Sumner Redstone's biography, A Passion to Win. I'm your host, David Brown. Tristan Donovan wrote this story. Voice acting by Michelle Philippi. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Edited and produced by Emily Frost. Sound designed by Jason Freeman. Our producer is Dave Schilling. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer-Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez for Wondering. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.